It's going to be a little different kind of sermon. Uh, we're going to be speaking, then I'm going to be having people come up front, interviewing some of them, then I'll be speaking, then another person comes up, so time will fly. Our series we're working through is called By Faith. We have it on the board, and we have a tree sitting there, and it is growing uh, at least a foot, I think, since we put it up there a couple months ago. And the quote that we uh, are using, and maybe you have it even memorized, I've heard some of you have memorized it, is this, a good society depends on people planting trees whose shade they will never sit under. And uh, yeah, our song that we sang, I see a generation rising up, you know, so we're doing things now in church for another generation that we don't always see the fruit of it and open up our eyes to things not seen. So when you're living by faith, you're actually believing something is going to happen in the future, but you don't know it yet. And so we live by faith all the time, every day in our lives. Um, as I was thinking about the three-year-olds getting out, uh, they don't always know how old they are. <laughs> it's funny. But sometimes you meet a three-year-old going on four, <laughs> almost four. Yeah, I'm 64, going on 65. I've got to mention that. Just in case you didn't know, didn't know what number was after 64. Um, but we had a special birthday yesterday. Uh, the oldest person in our congregation. Anyone want to guess who that is? No, it's not Roger Braun. No. <laughs> Grandma Nettie. There she is. We all call her Grandma Nettie. Um, she used to sit up front here with Henry, or uh, her spouse, and uh, she's moved back. She's in a wheelchair, so she's back there, and it's just great to have you here, Grandma Nettie. Um, she's planted a lot of trees in her time. A lot of trees. Thanks for your faithfulness, Grandma Nettie. She's a missionary in Guadalupe. I'll never forget, we honored her, I think it was her 80th birthday in the gym, and she drove in all by herself on a motorbike. I thought that was, that was pretty cool. So I'd like you to grab a pledge form that's on your pew, just be able to look at it. We don't have one for everybody, but we have three or four on a pew, and um, I just want to go through it for a minute. Um, that's our By Faith pledge. Roger spoke last week that, as you can see, we are nearly finished our full renovation. We did the inside and air conditioning now in here and windows and outside covers and a few, quite a few other things, new foyer. We need a new entrance. We need stairs. We're going to have accessibility ramps, an outdoor elevator, a drop-off area so traffic does not get backed up onto Broadway Avenue. And um, so I just want to go through this, this pledge a little bit with you. Um, so I took the form to a focus group on Thursday uh, in carpet bowling. It was a one-person focus group. <laughs> She's laughing. It was Pat Hagel. And I said, uh, this, I said, please look at this. Does it make sense? You know, will people understand what we're trying to communicate with this form? Is it clear with what we're asking? Is the font big enough? <laughs> was my ageism question uh, to that. And this is what she said. Well, it says, Gary, 2023 to 2026. What if I don't live that long? <laughs> I said, well, then I guess you can do it one time. It's on there. 
But you know, it, Christians do think about dying. We just do. We sing about it almost in every song, about when Christ's going to return and he's going to ascend and we're going to be with him and, and uh, we're getting there. We talk about it all the time. And so, um, and so then I was thinking, yeah, you know, so at what age did you stop, you know, with your one or three year subscriptions to magazines, right? Like, okay, might only have six months left. I'll go month by month. Insurance for the car. I have no idea what happens when you get to that age. So, but Pat's got me thinking, <laughs> what will happen? So here's the pledge, and we're asking it. You can do it for over three years, and it's to finish off our, our entrance. And it's going to be about 270000 to $300,000 to get it all done. And so we want you to think about this. We would ask that this would be above and beyond what you're already giving to our, to our church. And I'm going to talk about the budget a little bit next, later, so we'll come back to this. But I just want you to know what this is it. Uh, take time with it, pray about it, talk about it as a, as, a, as a family, and you can leave them in the boxes there. Also, exciting, there is a donor couple in our church who will match what you give. So if you put down $50 a month, that will mean $100 a month. If you put $10 a month, that will mean $20 a month. So we're thankful for generous people who are committed, devoted to this place and to what uh, kind of trees we're planting in the next few years. So I'm going to look at John chapter 14, verses 16 to 20. It'll be on the screen. You can read with me. Jesus is in the last week of his earthly life. He knows he's going to the cross. He's going to be crucified. His followers don't know. They don't want to believe it. And so he says this to them, because they're getting the hint that he's going to leave. And so he says this, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth. It's the Holy Spirit. Whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him. But you know him, because this Holy Spirit, this Spirit of truth, this helper abides with you. He's with you right now, as we speak, and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. And this is Pentecost, what we talked about last week. The Holy Spirit came. See, when Jesus was on the earth, he was, he was spirit-filled. He had the Spirit in him. And when, the, when he was in Jerusalem, he wasn't in Judea. The Holy Spirit was not in another city. He said, it's better that I go because the Holy Spirit will be in each one of you people. And so wherever you are, the Holy Spirit is. Wherever you are, the Spirit of Jesus is. Wherever you are, ministry will happen in my name. So it's better that I go. So that's why he ascended, and he sent the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Does anybody know an orphan? Maybe you've been an orphan. I've talked to some people who have felt like orphans. What does it mean to be an orphan? No home base. We have people in our church that work, social workers and and lawyers that work with social work, counselors here that talk to people that feel like orphans. They have no home base. One of the gentlemen we baptized from Ruth Naomi's a couple weeks ago he didn't know how many houses he lived in. He thought 19 foster homes. He had no home base. He felt like an orphan. 
And that means no security, no food, no clothing, no housing, a lack of family connections. And so, you know, an orphan animal in the wild cannot make it. And Jesus looked at his followers and he could see, you're going to feel like an orphan because you are so dependent on being in my presence. But guess what? I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and I will be in you, not just with you. I will be in you. See, humans need a home base. We need a place of security. We need family connections, a place to be. And these followers of Jesus who are going to feel like orphans. Where to next? Some of them had quit their jobs to follow Jesus, and then he wasn't going to be around. What do we do now? Feeling like an orphan. Lack of direction and purpose and guidance. Their hopes and their dreams dashed. Jesus was not who they thought he was going to be, that he was going to die and leave them. That's not what the Messiah was supposed to do. And then Jesus tells them this, recorded in John 14, about one day in the future, it's actually just going to be in about 50 days, the day of Pentecost, 50 days after. In the past, it was 50 days after the Passover, and that was a celebration of like our Thanksgiving. It celebrated the harvest season, the giving of the law. And as I explained last week through the scriptures in Acts chapter 2, all the, the 120 followers of Jesus who, who heard Jesus say, one day you will be filled with the Spirit, it happened to them. In the upper room, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They all began to speak in another language that someone else could understand. There were people from all over the Mediterranean hearing the good news of Jesus in their own particular language. People were amazed and perplexed, we talked about last week. Some thought, saw it as public drunkenness. It was nine in the morning. And then Peter explained, no, this is a prophecy of Joel being fulfilled. The Holy Spirit's going to come and do stuff. And then, we'll get through his sermon a bit, he called for repentance. He said, now's the time, the Holy Spirit is here, now is the time to call on the name of the Lord and get saved, he says. We'll talk about that. So just go to Acts chapter 2 if you want to in your Bible. I'm, just gonna, I'm not going to go through the, every verse, but I want to explain a few things here. So Peter stood up, verse 14, stood up with the eleven, he raised his voice and he addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose, it's only nine in the morning. Now this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. He quotes Joel, that this is a fulfillment of scripture. And he says, listen to this, Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God, verse 22, to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. You saw all this happening. Some of you may be worth the feeding of the 5,000. You know about this. And this man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, the Roman leadership, political system, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on Jesus. And this is what David says about him, that he, this body will not see decay. He knows the path of life. So he says, brothers and sisters. There were thousands of people listening to him. We all know that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here today. We can go look inside, and there'd be bones in there. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne, a future king would come, Jesus from the line of David. 
Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. So he's laying out to the crowd, you saw him crucified, and many of you saw him raised. The Bible says that over 500 people saw the resurrected Jesus. And now he's exalted to the right hand of God, and he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit. And that's what you see today, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on these people. Therefore, you all need to be assured, and this is for us today, God has made this Jesus. He crucified him, and he's both Lord and Messiah. He's to be your king. He's to be your guide. He's to be the one you listen to. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, what should we do? Have you ever been cut to the heart? Read something, might not even be something Christian, just that just something overwhelmed you. This is what I must do. So this is what happened. Peter said, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the same gift of the Holy Spirit. And with many words he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generations, from this corrupt generation. Yeah, pretty much every generation has had corruption, by the way. And those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to the number that day. On that day, the Holy Spirit will come and do a mighty work. During Jesus' three years, he ended up with 120 followers. One, who knows, 20-minute message, we're not sure. <laughs> Probably was more than this. 3,000 were added. But why? Because on that day, the Holy Spirit did something. So, the first thing in this by faith idea is to believe. Believe. You and I need to believe. We need to believe the gospel. We need to be, pretend we're in that crowd and we're listening to Peter and say, I need to believe that this Jesus died for my sins. I need to repent of my sins and have him as my Lord. It says they were cut to the heart. They realized they were party to the crucifixions. One, many of the hymns we sing talk about our sins on the cross. That's what we come to grips with. Our sins put him on the cross. And so Peter calls for a radical public testimony of conversion, not a private pray with me in a back room. It's come forward. Come forward. You need to repent and come to Jesus. And there's 3,000 people added that day. I think it's important that I give you a definition of repentance. Because we see... Uh, in our culture, all kinds of people doing wrong things, saying wrong things, posting wrong things, um, offending people. And sometimes this is the apology. <laughs> if you're offended, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry if I offended you. I'm only human. Kind of what did you expect? We all make mistakes. I hope it doesn't happen again. Hope it doesn't happen a third time. You know, bad things happen in threes. <laughs> we know that's not repentance. 
That's not really being sorry. So this is a great definition. And this is what happened when a person is cut to the heart. It's in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. This is what happened. They were cut to the heart, and it led them to salvation. And it leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. E earnestness, eagerness to clear yourself. What indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. It means I want to make things right. I'm going to be my own judge and jury on my own actions, and I'm going to say this is what I did. No excuse. God help me to be a different person, to be transformed, to be, di to be different. Alarm, indignation, angry at something unjust. It's very easy to be angry at everyone else stuff. But Peter here and Paul is saying indignation, angry at your stuff, what you've said to people, what you've done to people. Repent. See it for what it is, wrongful and hurtful, full responsibility. What must we do? And he said, just repent. You don't have to go after all kinds of crazy personal punishments and slashing yourself or what some other religions say to do. No, just come to Jesus. It's about Jesus. So these 3,000 or so people repented of their sins. They were baptized. And now what? We believed the gospel. But the important thing is to keep being a believer. Don't be a believed-er. Keep being a believer. Keep going. There's new things to believe in. There's new faith to live by. And so what do they do? Here we have it in chapter 2, verse 42. They, they, the 3,000, over 3,000, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So they got devoted to a couple things. And I'm going to call this, they started to live out the gospel. You know, growth is best and most productive when you're with others. So they were devoted to each other. They didn't just go off and try to live this Christian life all on their own. They were devoted to the teachings or the explanations of the gospel. They were devoted to each other. Not the church building or even the budget. They were devoted to each other, which did affect how they gave and what they did with their money and their possessions, their generosity. So they learned from each other. They got encouraged by each other. The iron sharpens iron. They now had many brothers and sisters in Christ. They were no longer orphans. They had a home base, this Christian group, a safe base. You know, you've played those, uh, sa those games of safety bases, what, capture the flag, right? When you're on the base, no one can get you. You can't touch me here. This is my safe place. This is what they had. The Holy Spirit was in them. The Holy Spirit was upon the group. And this was the power of Pentecost, not just in the signs and the wonders and the speaking of tongues and other languages, but it was the power to get along. We need power to get along. To have one accord and one mind in the church. That takes power. So they sold properties, it says. They gave as, they, as needed to the growth of people. The church is people. 
But it's a building is needed for the gathering, and so that's what churches give to today. In the early church, they met at the Jewish temple, but eventually they were persecuted, as we learned uh, in children's dismissal, and they were kicked out, and some were put in jail, some were killed for their faith, and so they met at homes. And, as I, and, and over the centuries, we've built buildings to meet in. So there's generosity in this group. There was fellowship. There was purpose. These are the characteristics of this early church. They really believed Jesus owned them, that they were bought with a price, what Paul says. They were no longer their own. And their possessions were owned by Jesus. They really believed this. They lived this gospel, and it's described in the book of Acts. And uh, one last point before we have the worship band come up, and it's this. We, not I. We, not I. As you go through the book of Acts, it's we. They were devoted to each other. We are a church that is and needs to be more devoted to each other. So when we look at a pledge, we look at a budget, I don't want us to think it's, a, you know, a devoted to, to balancing a budget. I mean, that's important, obviously. But I want us to look at the budget. What are we devoted to? Are we devoted to each other? Are we devoted to the parents that need help? Are we devoted to our kids that want more? Are we devoted to the strong preaching of the word on Sundays and, and care groups and different ministries going on? That's, that's what the budget is. It represents a vision. And I want to invite you into it. Yesterday, uh, we were setting up for having a barbecue, and I looked inside my barbecue, and there was no grills. There was no grill. So, hmm. What do I do? I'm not a welder, can't make one. So I went to home hardware and asked for a grill. Find the man, we go down the barbecue aisle, and these were his words, I don't have any. So I said, well, I'll ask another person then that works here. <laughs> Maybe she does. <laughs> I just find that a weird response. I don't have any. What? What? This is your own personal role and you don't have any? Like, and I, I think about that all the time when we, about the church. It's us. The answer that he should give me at Home, De at home Depot or Home Hardware is we don't have any. Not I. He doesn't have his own personal stock room somewhere, does he? It's a we. And so when we look at what we're trying to do as a church, it's a we, it's not an I. We do things for the group. We're devoted to each other. It's community. There's oneness. And so the church is not to be a place that we gather religiously just once a week and just a social institution amongst other groups that you can be a part of. This is something you devote yourself to. You, be, you get a donor number and you connect to this place and you give to the devotion of this place. It's a Christ-centered church with Christ-centered people. This is a community-starved world. There's a lot of people that feel like orphans, and I believe in this generation, the church will be the place, a safe place for people. It's potent witness to the truth. People, people need each other, and we need each other to be one accord, one heart, and one mind. Oneness is not natural. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit to do what Zach's talking about, where we talk our stuff with each other. It's not easy. But it can become natural and normal because of the power of the resurrected Christ. 
and believers. So I'll ask the band to come on up.